I made two attempts to say something off the cuff leading into this episode of the podcast. So I'm not going to. I'm just going to say thank you. Uh, thank you for the literal uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, listens to the last episode that there were. I asked people to share it and so that as many people as possible could know what a really, really, really neat, great man my dad was. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for me for indulging me with that. Uh, this week, uh, not a full episode, um, but I appreciate you all indulging me in this. Uh, the rest of this I will just read because I'm not uh, mentally prepared to just talk like I normally am. So uh, Dad's funeral was this past Thursday, August 31st of 2023. My family has received dozens of messages, social media comments, text messages, and other incredible tributes written and sent to us, which was really eye-opening. We had no idea how much he meant to other people and how many people he touched. As I was working on the obituary, Mom said, we need to make fun of him, too. So that's what this episode is. You will hear Sydney Powers, my niece's best friend and a friend of dad's, read a number of kind notes that were sent to us. This is from the funeral audio on Thursday. Then you'll hear me tell several fun stories about dad. I will apologize in advance. The audio quality is not fantastic. There was some sort of buzz hum in the church audio system. I did my best to get rid of it. Um, it was worse than what you will hear, but it's still kind of bad. But once you get going, just ignore it and just listen to what Sydney and I said in this. Next week, I will return to normal episodes and celebrate one year of this podcast. For my regular listeners, thank you for listening and allowing me to use this passion project of mine to also be some sort of catharsis. And thank you so much for listening. Hello, I'm Sydney Powers, a friend of the family and a friend of Tom's. My favorite memories of Tom are from the Beersford Gun Club with his first granddaughter and my best friend, Becky's daughter, Sydney. This is where Tom taught us how to shoot and where Tom, a strong Republican, would rant about the latest story he saw on Fox News to some fellow Republicans. I am reading this on behalf of Becky, Andy, and Joe. We knew we were lucky we knew we could not have had a better father than Tom Erickson. What we learned in this week since his accident is how other people felt about him. We knew he was very friendly and social and that he loved to talk to people. We didn't realize that he was so much more than that. In the last six days, we've received messages from people who knew Dad. Some knew him well, some only met him once. They all told us what an impact he had on them. Here are just a few. Jesslyn said, I will never forget the first time I talked to your dad when I first started working at Ace in Beersford. He talked to me like he had known me my whole life, and I just remember asking my dad, Jeff Olson, if I should know who this man was. After the first talk, every time he came to the store, he always stopped for a little chat, mostly about my kiddos and how they were and what they were up to, or he'd give me crap about my grandpa Larry. I will truly miss those talks with him. Dallas Shearer said, Tom was a great man who gave me my opportunity to fulfill my dream career in the military. I'll be forever grateful for his trust and mentorship. Eric Gerber said, 
I just want you to know that Tom was loved by so many people and was so influential in every life he touched. Tom was my first supervisor in the Air National Guard and was one of the key individuals that helped shape my life and helped me achieve my dreams. His kind demeanor, caring attitude, and willingness to help everyone will never be forgotten. He is truly one of the best. Beth Delman Schmidt said, Friday night my breath was taken away to see that he had been in that horrible accident. My first thought was of his daughter Becky. I hadn't seen Tom in many years. We worked together about 25 years ago in maintenance. And my first thought was Becky. To know the name of his daughter 25 years later tells you what was important to him, his family. Obviously, he repeated her name several times for it to stick with me all these years. Andy's college friend, Misty Lundstrom, said this when he called her. Your dad was the best. I'll never forget when I was in college at Arizona and he was on a guard trip. He called me up out of the blue and said, want to go have lunch and see the sights in Tombstone. He took his off day to take a broke college kid out for a fun day. When we were driving back, I had just started dating my husband and I said, Tom, you've been married forever. How do you do it? I'll never forget when he said, you either grow together or you grow apart. Angela Peterson. Every time I saw your dad, he would ask me how school was going for me and if our son was still a Packers fan. He'd ask if I had any new hunting stories to share with him, we would chat forever. No matter what, he always took the time to talk to me. He will be missed. Jed Olbertson sent this text to Andy. When I got the news on your dad, I messaged a group text buddies on the situation along with a picture of him. Three of the four have been to Beersford. Only one for a short evening at my bar, the other two for a few days at a time. The two who had spent more time here replied that they had met him, one at the liquor store and one at Casey's in Canton. What I'm saying is Tom's interest and care about other people left an impression on dudes that were just passing through. Guys go to a lot of places and see a lot of things and meet a lot of people, but your dad left an impression. I don't go to town in the evening often, but when I did, at least half the time, I'd see your folks and have a great chat with them. Your dad cared about his fellow man more than most can claim. He took friendship seriously, and going forward, I will think about how he approached an interaction and try to emulate it. Joe Cotton sent this message to Becky. Please know that I'm so very sorry for the loss of your dad. I want to share with you that when my father passed away, I went to the golf course. By myself, unfortunately for me, your dad sat down beside me and we talked for a couple hours and told me a lot of great stories and memories he had with my dad and told me how lucky I was to have Earl for a father. So I'm telling you how lucky and blessed you were to have Tom for a father. Thank you for sharing your memories of Tom with his family and for gathering here today to celebrate him and who touched the lives of so many. For any of you who don't know, I'm Andy. Over the last six days, we have heard and read many incredibly nice things about Dad. A few days ago, Mom said, we need to make fun of him too. I completely agreed, and that's what I'm here to do. Last night, after most people had left the funeral home, I saw Mom having another good cry in front of the casket. I gave her a big hug and said, and she said, I really love that picture. And after a short silence, she said, he was kind of fat back then. <laughs> and I needed that one. The John Denver at the funeral home was a good idea on paper. In practice, I walk up to the casket by myself and it's, I'm leaving on a jet. Oh, God. 
We learned something new about Dad this week. He was a hoarder of socks. As many of you probably know, or maybe you don't, Dad usually had a gun on him, or at least with him. One of his pistols, a Smith & Wesson, was missing. We figured it was either on him or in the car with him, but needed to check the house to be sure. Mom asked me to check his safe and anywhere else it might be. I looked in his nightstand. The top drawer was full of cold weather and dress socks, 32 pairs to be exact. <laughs> the drawer underneath it, full of white ankle-high socks, 36 pairs. Or pardon me, those were the calf-high socks. I checked his dresser drawers. I found his Ruger, but not the Smith & Wesson. Next to his dresser was another set of drawers. In the top drawer, I found another 24 pairs of ankle socks. <laughs> I have a sock drawer. That is also my underwear drawer. Dad had three sock drawers and no underwear in any of them. I asked a friend who was also in the Corps if hoarding socks was a Marine thing. He affirmed that it was as the socks they are issued are not very good and will fall apart quickly. So if you had the chance to acquire more socks, you took it. I'm not going to get all the details of these stories right. The funny thing about that is it would da drive Dad crazy. I remember as a kid he told me that if you're going to do something, do it right or don't do it. This was true for his work, his hobbies, and home projects. Sometime in the last 10 or 20 years, Dad was ju had just finished rebuilding the chimney on their house. Not being a bricklayer by trade, he would be extra meticulous to make sure he got the job done right. I was standing in the driveway with Daryl Helley when Dad started walking out to greet him. Daryl taps me and says, watch this. Hey Tom, that chimney looks great, but it looks like it's got a little twist in it. Dad picked up his pace walking and starts looking up at the chimney to see the angle Daryl saw knowing it would drive Dad crazy. Of course, nothing was wrong with it. It was perfect, and Daryl and I started laughing hysterically. The other night, my Uncle Greg told me about a time where he told Dad that he could wear his wife's jeans. I tried on Sharon's jeans. We have the same waist. Without thinking of what he was about to say, Dad said, well, I wish I could get into Linda's pants. Dad was a very handy guy. There was nothing he couldn't fix or make. Back in 2008, shortly after my daughter Jackie was born, I asked Dad to help me put in a light fixture at the bottom of the stairs. He did, and as we worked on it, I told him about how I had turned the downstairs bedroom into my audio-video recording studio. He got to looking around and found that the basement circuits could be a little underpowered for my needs. He tried to talk me into redoing the wiring and replacing the circuit breakers in the basement. He said, Andy? You've got an opportunity here to make a really big upgrade. I said, Dad, I don't need the house rewired. I need a light at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> Dad was especially adept at electrical wiring and working on electronics, except at Diane Hofer's house. Lenny asked Dad to help with some wiring Diane needed done around a fish tank. He did his normal, careful work, but after they turned the power on, all of the fish were floating belly up. Dad was furiously trying to figure out what he missed, while Lenny was furiously trying to figure out what he was going to tell Diane. 
But then, a few minutes later, the fish started swimming again. If you've ever had a personal interaction with Dad, you know he loved to tell a story. He was really good at it, too. For instance, if you listen to the most recent podcast I published with him, we started off by him telling the story of how he ended up shooting an elk in Colorado with his pants around his ankles. He paints the picture of that event so well. But sometimes as he told the story, he tried to paint a Rembrandt instead of maybe giving the detail that was only required, like, say, a kindergarten finger painting. I was sitting with him at the Muni, and Dad and his friend Gary Lambert, with whom he soon served on the Beersford City Council, Dad started telling a story, and after a while, Gary got this smirk on his face and started tapping his watch. Dad started laughing hysterically, and I didn't get what was going on. Gary explained that the other day, he and Dad were talking to someone, and Dad was giving the full version of the story. Gary stopped him and said, Tom, he asked you what time it is, not how to build a watch. This, of course, also carried over to the Air Guard, where for a lot of his career, Dad was a supervisor. Bob Fodness, who everyone called Bubba, was telling me about how they could get out of the long version of a story at work. Mom was around Bubba, Dan Weber, and a few other guard guys when Dad got into one of his extended director's cut stories. Mom stopped him and told the guys, if he gets going like this, you have my permission to say, Tom, short version. There were a lot of pranks at the air guard. The other night, Bubba told me about the time he went into the shop and said, hey, you want to see a Norwegian train? So Bubba walked around outside with Dad following behind him, and it didn't take too long before Dad realized he was the Norwegian train. Dad got him back, though. Bubba was doing real estate part-time back then, and Dad left him a note that said, call Mr. Lyon, L-Y-O-N, and then a phone number. Bubba called the number, and they answered, Great Plains Zoo. <laughs> Dad had a few nicknames. Mom would sometimes call him Tom. A few called him Tommy. I remember hearing friends call him T. Rockley. And then there was Eddie. Joe told me about this the other day, and I didn't remember it at all. His brother Kurt and Kurt's friend Randy started calling him Eddie. And every once in a while, Kurt would refer to him as Eddie. Joe asked Kurt how he got the nickname. Kurt said, well, you know how your dad gets really interested in something and it's all he can talk about? Well, when we were younger, he got really into hunting and camping gear and the Eddie Bauer catalog, and when he wouldn't shut up about it, we started calling him Eddie. Hunting was a lifelong passion of dad's. When I was a kid, it wasn't a passion for me. It was just something kind of fun I did with dad. When Joe and I were around 12 and 13, one of Dad's guard buddies, Lane Munger, came down to Beersford for the opening day of pheasant season. We were hunting a field southwest of Union County Park that was really thick with all kinds of weeds. It was pretty tough walking. We walked from one corner of that field to the other, and when we got within about 40 yards of the fence line, a hundred pheasants jumped all at once. Lane told me last night that when they jumped, Dad quickly popped off two shots and took two out of the air. Lane wasn't even able to shoot, but he brought one down, so did Joe. I, on the other hand, got nothing. I had never seen so many pheasants jump all at once, and I could not pick one out to even shoot at. I was completely overwhelmed. Dad and Joe were really rubbing it into me as well. How could you not get one? There was a hundred birds to pick from. 
lucky for me, all the pheasants flew back to the other end of the field we had just walked from. So we started heading back that way. After my heinous failure, I was laser-focused on getting one. Halfway across the field, a rooster jumped about 10 feet in front of me. It got to about 12 feet when I blasted it. Dad walked over and picked it up and said, Nice shooting, son, but I don't think we're going to be able to eat this one. We got our limit in three hours, and we're done that day by 1 o'clock. On another pheasant hunt in Dad's childhood stomping ground south of Beersford, we were walking through one of the Swaggins fields. Dad saw quick movement running just ahead of him in the cut corn and tumbleweeds. Dad was a firm believer that shooting a pheasant on the ground was not what a good sportsman should do, so he planned to kick it to get it to fly. He started to run after his quarry, but suddenly stopped dead in his tracks, snapped his shotgun to his cheek, and fired. He pointed the muzzle up, turned around, and said, let's go back to the truck. Someone in our group asked why. We were kind of confused. He said, well, you can walk down one of that skunk I just shot, but I'm not. Dad also loved shooting sports outside of hunting. He was a really good trap shooter. I'll never forget when I was a kid, looking at all of Dad's trap shooting trophies, when Mom snuck up behind me, pointed at one of the trophies, and said, that one's mine. I had no idea Mom was a trap shooter. She started so she would have something in common to do with Dad. Despite being right-handed, he taught both Mom and me to shoot left-handed because we were both left-eye dominant, making life easier to track and aim at flying targets. She said, I shot with your dad until you were born, then I didn't have time for it anymore, obviously with me and Joe coming along. She also told me she beat him once. There was a turkey shoot at the Beersford Gun Club. Everybody shoots a target from the 16-yard line, and if they hit, they stay in. If they miss, they fall out. After everybody goes, you move back another yard. When they got the last two shooters that were left on the concrete at 27 yards were dad and mom. They both hit at 27. They both hit a yard off the concrete at 28. At 29 yards, Dad got a hard left target and missed. I just confirmed this all with Mom this morning. Mom got a hard right, and as she told me, I smoked it. While Dad's shooting buddies never let him live it down, I'm sure he was proud as punch that Mom had beat him. The last time I heard that story, I remember Dad also saying, well, it didn't matter who won, the money was coming home with us. Any storytelling about dad must include what we call Thomisms. I think my brother-in-law Dave coined the term, not sure. A Thomism is simply one of those funny sayings dad was fond of saying. Some were original compositions, while others were borrowed colloquialisms from around the world. But he made them his own. After he used one of his originals, I don't remember which one, I asked him where he came up with this stuff. He said, I don't know, I just like a funny analogy. It's a better way of telling a story. Some Thomisms weren't even an analogy. For years, he would say, I don't care what color my hair turns as long as it stays there. Sometimes he'd specify the color, sometimes not. To describe someone who was anxious or uptight, he would say, he was wound tighter than a $2 watch. Someone who was a little crazy or goofy, this guy is not wrapped real tight. Or, he was nuttier than a squirrel turd. One I don't remember ever hearing, but Casey told me about, was she would hear him say, they were wiser than a tree full of owls. If he was talking about being sick, he loved to say how he was pooping through a screen door. 
If he was talking about someone who was scared or shivering in the cold, he would say they were shaking like a puppy pooping a peach pit. If a jet going straight up was going straight up, he would say it was climbing like a homesick angel. When he would curse his shaky hands, I heard him say, I'm as shaky as a two-legged stool. Dave reminded me that whenever Dad introduced him to one of his old air guard buddies, he would say, this is so-and-so. He's a scholar and a gentleman, and there are, so, or there are not many of us left. When he was sweaty, he would say, I was sweating like a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. Crystal reminded me of my favorite. If a phone connection was garbled or someone was just not speaking very clearly, Dad would say, they sounded like a shit salesman with a mouthful of samples. I'm sorry, Pastor Mary, I was advised to seek forgiveness instead of permission. <laughs> the other day while sitting at the house, Becky told me she always asked her son John, or that she had asked her son John, what was the one thing he will always remember about Papa? He replied with the same thing a lot of us did. Singing Grandma's Feather Bed in the Car. Dad liked music, but he never had a radio on unless he was listening to me. If, he ha if I had to guess what his favorite musical acts were, I would have to say John Denver in whichever folk or bluegrass band Kester was playing in. But he never played it in the car because he was too cheap to get a car with a tape player, so he just sang it himself. So... I will walk off to the song that he loved so much, he sang it for the rest of his life. When I was a little bitty boy, just about four, we used to go out to Grandma's house every month in the soul. Have chicken, pine, country ham, homemade butter on the bread. But the best darn thing about Grandma's house is a great big feather bed. It was nine feet high and six feet wide, soft as a downy chick. It was made from the feathers of four to eleven geese, took a whole bunch of cloth for the tick. It hold eight kids, four hound dogs, a piggy we stole from the shed. Didn't get much sleep, but we had a lot of fun on Grandma's feather bed. After supper, we'd sit around the fire, the old folks would spit and chew. Paul would talk about the farm and the war, and my grand sing a ballad or two. I'd sit and listen, watch the fire, till the cobwebs filled my head. Next thing I know, I'd wake up in the morning in the middle of the old feather bed. It was nine feet high and six feet wide, soft as a downy chip. It was made from the feathers of four to eleven geese, took a whole world of cloth for a tick. It hold eight kids, four hound dogs, a piggy we stole from the shed. Didn't get much sleep, but we had a lot of fun on Grandma's feather bed. Yeah! Well, I love my ma and I love my pa, I love Grand and Grandpa, too. I've been fishing with my uncle, I wrestled my cousin, I even kissed Aunt Lou. If I ever had to make a choice, guess it ought to be said. I'd trade them all, plus a gal down the road for Grandma's feather bed. It was nine feet high and six feet wide, soft as a downy chick. It was made from the feathers of four to eleven geese, took a whole bunch of cloth for the tick. It hold eight kids, four hound dogs, a piggy we stole from the shed. Didn't get much sleep, but we had a lot of fun on Grandma's feather bed. Didn't get much sleep, but we had a lot of fun on Grandma's feather bed.